Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. On today's episode, we're going to be diving into the story of a global supply chain leader doing big things in the industry and based right here in Georgia. And he's one heck of a guy, a musical artist, a <laughs> uh, very talented individual, and a friend of the show. So let's dive right in. I want to welcome in our featured guest here today, Dennis Flynn, Vice President of Global Logistics at Stanley Black & Decker, Inc. Hey, hey Dennis, how you doing? I'm good, Scott. Glad we're getting a chance to do this. We've been looking forward I to am, this. I am too. Well, it's been in the works for a while. I've gone through your agent a couple of times. Uh, who knows? We, we might book an interview and a gig. We'll see. But uh, yeah, Dennis, for the great. Limo, by the way, appreciate you sending that out. <laughs> uh, listeners, he's only kidding. He's only kidding. We, we can't afford limos. Hey, but kidding aside, great to have you here. Uh, this has been a long time in the works, and uh, it's so neat to be able to dive into the Dennis Flynn story a little bit more. Um, yeah. But before we start picking your brain on all things supply chain, let's get to know mm -hmm. you a little better. And I want to start with, Dennis, a question I don't think I've ever asked you. So I've been looking forward to your answer. Where did you grow up? And, and give us some anecdotes about your upbringing. Oh, wow. Um, well, I grew up in, in Northern Virginia. My dad was in the Army. He worked at the Pentagon for years. And around my, so I kind of had that whole D.C., Caps, you know, those were my sports teams, the Bullets back when they were called the Bullets, the Wizards now. So very much a, a D.C. guy, still am. Uh, around my junior year of high school, though, we moved to Florida. And so I ended up then learning how to surf and lifeguard and do all this other kind of more Floridian stuff. So kind of two <laughs> different places influenced me growing up. I, I ended up at the University of Florida for undergraduate. And uh, love that. Obviously, I'm a sports fan, as you know. So we've talked about baseball before. So a big right. school like that, being in the SEC, uh, was awesome. You know, seeing all the athletes we saw come through that place who went on to become Hall of Famers, either in football or basketball or baseball. So and, uh, and yeah. really quick, uh, not only um, plenty of athletes coming through the University of Florida, but of course, Tom Petty. We're going to touch on music in a minute. Tom Petty, Tom Petty. I think, was That's Gainesville, true. right? He was, yeah. Um, he actually, I, it was Mike Campbell, the guitarist, I think went to the University of Florida. I don't think Tom ever set foot in the classroom. I know he worked at the university. I think he was a landscaper, but right. yeah, he's, he's obviously musically uh, a huge influence. And in Gainesville, he's, you know, he is the, the native son of Gainesville. So. <laughs> yes. Well, hey, I'm going to go back to your Washington, D.C. That's where you grew up. I didn't know your father was in the Army. That is mm -hmm. uh, really cool. How, um, did y'all move around a lot? And if you did, did it did it did it help train you how to kind of meet new people and build new <laughs> relationships regularity? Was it regular? Yeah, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because that's exactly what it did. Um, you know, I was born in Germany, and yes, moved around a lot. We lived in Louisiana. We lived in Fort Leavenworth. Um, um, my dad was in Vietnam for a period of time, where I lived with my grandparents, and yeah, then on on to on to Virginia. And what that does. Uh, your question is really astute. You're, you're forced to quickly adapt. You know, you're the new kid and you have to understand the, the landscape pretty quickly. And 
you know, determine who, who, what activities you want to be involved in, who you want to be friends with. So yeah, there's, there's a fair amount of that. Uh, my wife went through that too. She moved a lot. Her, her father was in academia. So we've always had that in common, that ability to be the new person and kind of quickly settle in, establish yourself, uh, kind of dip a toe in the water, you know, not, not barge in, but kind of slowly, right. slowly uh, make your way into what, you know, what's going to be your, your circle, your clique, your group of friends. Mm. You know, that's, that is really a valuable trait to have because it's so mm. challenging. Now, I remember when I was a kid, just not, not having moved around, just how tough it was from school year to school year. And then of course I see my three kids doing it now and, and it's just, it's tougher. And I, I don't know if the, uh, the digital world is making it easier or making it tougher. Probably a little bit of both, but yeah, um, probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Okay. I want to transition. I want, I want to talk food and music and before we talk supply chain. So food. Okay. So um, you lived in a bunch of communities. You, you touched on, of course, DC. Uh, you touched on uh, Florida and Gainesville. Um, what is one food dish that is inseparable from that earlier part of your journey? What's one thing you wish you could go get a, a plate of now? Mm. So my mom's side of the family uh, from Jacksonville is uh, Lebanese and Syrian. And so my grandmother would make all this Lebanese and Syrian food. And Jacksonville had, I don't know if they still do, but at the time they had a lot of different kind of mom and pop Lebanese and Syrian restaurants. And that, you know, kibbe and tabbouleh and Safiha and pita bread. Mm. Oh man, that stuff still, if I, if I can see it, and there's a place or two in Atlanta that does that, but I, I love that, that kind of, uh, Middle Eastern comfort food, I guess I'd call it that, 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 that's formative food for me. That's, that's soul food for me. I love that. I love that. Now, thanks for making me hungry. Uh, we're going to move from food. I want to talk about some of your other passions that I've come to appreciate. I've never had the opportunity to catch you uh, live when you're gigs, but you're mm. you're a big passionista when it comes to music. You you play the guitar. I think you you also sing and provide some acoustics. Maybe tell us about uh, your music, your love for music, and any influences that you have on your music. Yeah. So yeah, and you and I have had this conversation. Yeah. So I play in a band here uh, locally. The name of the band is My Favorite Baldwin. So I'm going to ask you not to ask any follow-up questions on how that <laughs> okay. name came about. But I'm super fortunate to be friends with some other guys who live here in the Sandy Springs area who are all passionate about music. And, um, you know, we all play different instruments and have a pretty similar taste in music. So the set list is a lot is pretty easy. It's all cover songs and just kind of whatever people our age are going to like, you know, so there's going to be some 80s, some 90s, some current stuff so that we don't look like we're too old, but uh, it's a ton of fun. So you asked about influences. They're really kind of all over the board. I'm a huge Prince fan, and I think some people know, not everybody knows that he was an, an amazing musician, obviously yeah. a great showman, but an amazing guitar player, pianist, you name it. Um, when it comes to guitar, David Gilmore, you know, from Pink Floyd, and the reason I like him so much is because he doesn't play fast, kind of like me, but his <laughs> note selection and his solos is just perfect. And so mm. I, I follow a lot of what he does because I'm, I think that's, I'm capable of, you know, getting in the same ballpark as him. 
I listened to a lot of Van Halen growing up, but there's no way I'm going to be playing, you know, <laughs> Eddie Van that's, that's more, Eddie that's Van Halen. more for me to, yeah, it's the kind of music you listen to and you go, yep, he can play that. And I can't, <laughs> uh, and then a lot of jazz guitar players too, like Wes Montgomery. Uh, I love listening to him. Uh, just smooth. Um, the guy named Mark Whitfield, who's a, a jazz guitar player. Not a lot of people know about. So those are kind of my, my influences. I love it. Um, you, yeah. So, you know, one of the, my favorite parts of being a father is uh, as I, I've got three kids. My oldest two are daughters and my, my last one uh, is my son. And my daughter, I'm not cool enough in my daughter's size, maybe for them to embrace my music for the most part. My middle child thinks I'm a little bit cool. So that, <laughs> that's neat to see. But my son, it's really interesting to see him embrace some of the music, some of my music, right? Like I'm a big Queen fan. And he's mm-hmm. become a big Queen fan. He he can Bohemian Rhapsody and and uh, Under Pressure. We lo- love David Bowie too. He can almost say and sing those songs word for word, and that is really it's really cool to see. Because I was I stumbled upon um, I didn't listen to much radio until I was probably you know later in high school. So I didn't have an appreciation for you know the fifties and the sixties and the seventies, all the you know uh, the historic musical acts. So he's mm-hmm. gonna have. A lot of that appreciation, I think, at a far earlier age. Yeah, it's funny you say that. My son um, has picked up the guitar and has become really, really good. And I, I didn't teach him. He just, I, I guess, I guess maybe saw me and said, "Hey, that looks fun." But he's <laughs> he's listening to the Doors and Zeppelin and all these classic bands, and he's formed his own band now. And he's, it's been a, again, through no. I'm not going to give myself any credit, but to see him play and us now talk about, hey, what scale do you play on this song and how did you play? What court? That's been a lot of fun. It's been a great kind of bonding thing for him and I. And, and he has he has surpassed me in his talent. So I'm <laughs> I love going that. To him and just, how do you you know how do you play a whole lot of love by Zeppelin? How, what, what can you show me that? So that's, that's awesome. That's been fun. Yeah. All right. So I know Dennis. Whenever you're ready to um, kick off a new podcast series. It's going to be music, his, the, the love of music with Dennis Flynn. All right, I can already yeah. picture it in my mind. Who knows? Um, I'll copy in the meantime, yes, yeah, right. In the meantime, I'm going to make, a, I'm going to circle my calendar and try to come out and see my favorite Baldwin in person. So we'll see. Okay. All right. I'll hold you to that. So we're having, we're having too much fun talking few, food and, mu- and music and kind of your upbringing. We got to get to uh, our heavy lifting, right? We got to talk. We want to talk supply chain with Dennis yeah. Flynn. But before we talk about your current role um, at Stanley Black & Decker, let's talk about a role or two that you held before your current role that really shaped your worldview, Dennis. Sure. So I, I think the, the first role that was like that was uh, at Coca-Cola. Well, where I worked and for 16 years and loved every minute of it. And it was a role where I was working in the logistics and supply chain areas around process improvements, Six Sigma projects. And in the process got my Six Sigma, my green belt certification. And I think a couple of things I learned there. First of all, when you're in that kind of work and you're gathering a lot of data, you know, the data gives you the right to ask the, the, the right questions. You know, the data is not always judge and jury in supply chain because that, and that leads to the second thing I learned, which is 
any action you take in the supply chain is going to have an impact on some downstream action, right? So if you are selecting a, a different carrier, it's going to have an impact on both the pickup and the delivery. If you're, if you're choosing a different way to do warehousing or a different warehousing software, it's going to have an impact on those warehouse workers and potentially on uh, storage and production. Nothing happens in isolation. So as you're working through projects really from demand planning and production scheduling all the way to getting it to the shelf, you have to be cognizant uh, and very cross-functional in all that work so that you understand what the upstream and downstream stakeholders might experience as a result. Um, you've probably seen it, I've seen it, where someone might optimize their area, but then there's an impact. And so you have to be really uh, careful there. That, that's that's uh, one of the big learnings, uh, one of the formative experiences for me. I think the other formative thing about- Hey, really quick, if I can. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Dennis, really quick. So one of the things I take away from what you shared there is how you came to appreciate true systems level thinking from your yep. 16 years there at Coca-Cola. Is that right? Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. um, helped to work in a plant, uh, helped to work in a warehouse. Uh, I think those experiences give you uh, credibility and a lot of a lot more understanding when you're making decisions, say in a conference room, to know what it's like to to be in the plant, to be in the warehouse, to manage the fleet. Um, that I think that helps too. Mm, well the said. other thing I was going to say, and it's not supply chain related, is the power of brands. The power of strong brands is a big deal, um, and uh, I, I've realized that through the rest of my career, and and been fortunate to work for other companies with really strong brands as well. Mm. Uh, so one quick follow-up question, then we're going to get into what you're doing now at uh, Stanley Black & Decker. Talk about the culture at Coke. 16 years at, at Coca-Cola, I've been in the headquarters um, just a couple of times. They hosted one of our events in my very first startup, and it was a, a fabulous experience. Um, but what, what was one thing about the culture there at Coke that you really – you really appreciated? Boy, um, just one thing, huh? I, I think it was the, <laughs> it was the focus on the brand and the importance of, uh, of the brand and not doing anything to compromise that. Uh, and that, and, and not just the brand, but also, you know, the customers and their ability to, to portray the brand and, and display it in a way that was becoming of what it is, which really is an icon. Um, you know, here in the Southeast, the, the beverage decision is a big one, right? People are very passionate about their brands here uh, for beverages in the Southeast. Outside of the Southeast, maybe not so much. But the culture there at, at Coca-Cola, well, one of the many good things about the culture there was just the focus on how important it was to protect the brand and to make it um, what people expect, which is something they can mm. depend on. They know they're going to get the same flavor, the same quality. Every time they open it up, they know when they go to the store, it's going to be right there. It's going to be stocked. And um, that, that to me was probably the, the most important cultural thing I took away. I love it. That uh, fulfilling that brand promise is one of, one of the things I heard there. And you're right here in the Southeastern United States, you know, things aren't, um, carbonated beverages are not, sodas they're cokes here yeah. in the southeast i grew up everything was a coke now 
doesn't mean everything is uh you know the same quality as a Coke. But if it was it was if it was a a soda type of beverage, it was a Coke. So you're right. Uh, uh, very important here. So Dennis, we could do a whole show probably about your 16 years at Coca Cola. But I want to move forward because I want to move to um, what you're doing now as mm-hmm. Vice President of Global Logistics at Stanley Black and Decker, which is a company that you know everybody and their brother and sister is probably familiar with. But if you would talk to, talk about your role and in a nutshell, talk about the company. Sure. So my role is, uh, and it's new to me, is uh, VP of Global Logistics. So I'm going to be looking at how our product moves across the world by all modes. And so I'm really now tied very much into the, the, the global macroeconomic picture. Um, and I'm sorry, what was the second part of your question, Scott? So for the three people that maybe have never used one of your products, you know, across the world, you know, everyone's very familiar with the company, but just for the two or three people that may not be, what does the company make? So we're making tools, power tools, hand tools, uh, outdoor equipment. We're really growing in the outdoor uh, equipment uh, category. Um, Brands like DeWalt and Craftsman are are really our big brands. A lot of people know our Fatmax tape measures. So, and we're available, gosh, everywhere. I mean, anywhere everywhere. people shop, whether that's in stores, online, uh, really, really strong brands. And, you know, very much like Coca-Cola in terms of brand strength, just obviously in, in, a, in a different category, but right. a strong focus on brands and exceptionally strong focus on quality and really a great, great company. Love it. Love it. Um, okay. So let's dive a little bit deeper. Uh, I want to talk mm-hmm. about kind of looking back at last year and then looking ahead at this year, the rest of this year. So if you and your team were to look at 2021, what would be a couple of things that y'all are really proud of that you were able to do from a, say, a supply chain standpoint? Well, I think, you know, 2021 was a challenge, right? And that's not news to anybody. I think keeping the supply chain going, keeping very engaged with our customers around their promotional needs, their new product needs, um, the different seasonalities that we have, and being very um, in communication with them and transparent with them about about what was going on on our side. High levels of collaboration with our customers uh, is is a big one because that you know flows all the way back up through our supply chain into planning and and sourcing and and all those critical functions that have to happen. Um, and then you know working in a in a remote world, keeping our teams engaged. You know, I'm I'm proud of how well, not just me, but really my peers, my managers, our senior leaders did a great job, I think, of keeping people engaged, understanding that there can be fatigue after your 10th Zoom call of the day. So I think there was a really big focus within the company on making sure the people were right. And mm. I appreciated that because I, I I hope anyway, that I dispensed it, but I also know I was the recipient of it from my from my managers and our leadership team. So yeah. I, I think those were those were our big accomplishments last year for sure. There's a bunch of them there. So before I talk about 2022, kind of take uh, uh, picking up one of the points you just made during the latter part of your answer. It's really uh, it's fascinating. Yeah, you know, I think this these last few years are going to be studied for a very long time. Uh, yeah, from business schools, from psychology schools, from 
you name it. But you know, one of the things I look at as a as a business leader and entrepreneur is for about three or four years prior to the pandemic and prior to starting up Supply Chain Now, um, I was part of a, a small recruiting uh, firm, uh, a great, powerful recruiting firm, but a small business. And I think of how um, I interacted and how I, I led uh, and how I, um, you know, all the things I did in that remote, in that small remote business prior to the pandemic. And man, then I think about everything that we've learned the last couple of years as everyone has gone remote, right? And you've really, you've, you've kind of figured out how to optimize that, right? And how to re- uh, build relationships and, and, you know, take care of your people remotely. And Dennis, I'll tell you, I, I'd go back and I'd do about a thousand things different. I don't know about you, but um, yeah. I'm, I've really learned a lot in these last couple of years, huh? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think as you were asking or, or making your comments, one thing that popped in my head is I've really learned the difference between or, or the, the spectrum of introversion and extroversion and, and mm. in between and how different people contribute regardless of where they are on that on that uh, spectrum. But adjusting your approach a little bit more, for, for example, you know, when you recognize folks on your team who may be a little introverted, those Zoom calls are draining and they right. need a period of time afterwards like to, to sit back and think and reflect and process. Um, others are much more comfortable with, with Zooms and like to put them out there or the, or the video meetings, whatever your forum, your platform. But yeah, I, I would have gone back to your point. I would have gone back and recognized that a little bit more around a conference yep. room table or talking to someone in an office or a cube. That to me has been some, and I've recognized it in myself. Um, the fact that after the second, third, fourth zoom in a row, I got to have a break or I'm not right. <laughs> necessarily good for the people who are depending on me to be a leader present or that's right. You're right. Or my managers who are depending on me to be you know, pretty sharp and coming into each, each of these sessions with some, some crisp, clear thought. So yeah, I, I agree with you, Scott. It's been, mm. um, and as we're getting back into the office now, because I have started to, to actually go into the office like a lot of people, travel a little bit. Um, I, can, I can start to see the, the benefits of having adjusted the approach to different yep. people depending on where, where, I, where I believe they're most comfortable. Love that. Uh, appreciate your, your introspection there. Um, if I said that right, introspection. Is that, is that what I'm trying Intros- to say? Intro- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Introspective? I was I never know. awesome at vocabulary, but I'll buy it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Dennis, um, and we're going to revisit what the pandemic taught you in a second more formally, but um, let's think about uh, 2022 when it comes to yeah. Stanley Black & Decker, Inc. What are some of your uh, you know priorities uh, in 2022? Well, a lot of them carry over from 2021, right? Um, making sure that we are doing everything we can from a logistics standpoint to get, you know, to have that intersection between service and and efficiency, service being the priority. Uh, I also want to make sure as we look at the the carrier landscape, um, capacity rates, that we are uh, being smart there, that I'm talking with other peers of mine, and I do talk very frequently with peers of mine who I've worked with in the past who have similar positions at, at companies you know, names that, you, that you've that you heard of. And we're all 
looking at the macroeconomic environment, wondering how does spending go up or down going forward? Are we headed toward a recession? What is that going to do to capacity? What's that going to do to rates? Um, looking at the potential for a work stoppage in Southern California at those ports, what does that mean? And just in general, making sure that as, as spending potentially changes from goods over to services and experiences, mm. what's that going to do to the flow of goods? And right. so I, I, that's, that's what I'm focused on. And again, as I talk to my peers and friends who do similar roles to other companies, they're all going through the same thing. What's going to happen at a macroeconomic level that's going to impact the logistics world all the way from you know, origin to origin port and the ocean piece and then the drainage piece from the port into the different manufacturing plants and distribution centers. Each one of those pieces is a little different. You know, COVID, like for example, right now, I think most people know that COVID has impacted um, the port of Shanghai. Right. Well, really, Shanghai port operations are, are continuing. It's, it's the trucking into and out of. That's the issue. And so that's right. where you have to focus your attention now. And then the, you know, the, the, the potential for labor uh, issues in Southern California is something everybody's got to keep on their horizon. Uh, who's, who's got any kind of supply chain that extends globally and into Asia. So those are the, those are kind of the main high level 2022 things I'm looking at. And I know my peers are as well, at least the ones I, I speak with. You know, um, I'm, I'm really hoping uh, you know, there's lots of different takes on any time government kind of gets into uh, the private sector. But I'm really hoping that the flow initiative that um, the White House recently announced, where yeah. it really focused on kind of sharing the data and visibility amongst a variety of, of shareholders. I really am hoping that we can make some progress there. Um and then secondly, macroeconomics still to this day, some 20 plus years after my college experience, still conjures up dread in my the pit of my stomach. I was not a good economic student and my, te and my te teachers pointed it out time and time again. So uh, a lot of good stuff there, Dennis. Um, I want to uh, kind of shift gears. I want to talk, you know, we just were talking a second ago, kind of because we both had kind of a, a, reflect, a reflection uh, on you know the pandemic period and pre-pandemic and what we both learned, but I want to answer, ask you that question again because what has, what else has the pandemic really taught you about leadership? It's a really good question. Um, I, I think for me, it's it's taught me that you have to develop uh, a real comfort with uncertainty. You have to. Be able to manage in you know you hear the the acronym VUCA right uh, everybody right. Uh, everybody's using that uh, I think you have to be a, a, the ability to deal with ambiguity to make decisions with the information you have not knowing what what event might happen tomorrow be it a weather event or a strike or you know a, a pandemic um, and and go with the the best data you have at the time and make your decision and move forward. But to the extent you can build some flexibility into it, the, the ability to, to change or redirect a little bit down the line, that, that works to your advantage. Um, you know, looking at things right now, 
yes, rates are going up. And I just saw today that air freight uh, rates have gone up just this month again. You know, is that the case a year from now? You know, who knows, uh, based on some of the macroeconomic things we were talking about earlier. So uh, as you as people are going to look in, in my conversations, as people are going to look at rates and, and contracts, you know, that's something they need to consider. Um, but in back to your question on leadership, it really the main thing it's taught me is that you have to be willing to lead, make decisions with a, a lot of uncertainty and uh, to the extent you can build in flexibility to adjust those decisions as, as you, as time goes on. Love that. Um, and you mentioned VUCA. So for our listeners that may not have heard it or may not have uh, taken the time to kind of go see what it stands for, volatil uh, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And I believe that VUCA originated at the Department of Defense War College uh, here in the States, if I'm not mistaken and now has been embraced by the supply chain community for the last couple of years, for sure. Um, okay, so moving right along from things that we learned from the pandemic, uh, leadership and beyond, let's broaden the scope a little bit more. You've mm -hmm. already mentioned some of the things you're tracking and some of the things you're talking about with your peers, which is really um, neat insights there. But if there's one other thing, as, as you're surveying the global business world, the global supply chain, you name it, what else comes to mind that you may be tracking more than others? Hmm. Well, um, again, uh, consumer behavior, consumption, is there going to be a trend in spending away from goods and more toward experiences? And then a, a big one, I can't believe I haven't mentioned yet, is uh, people, employees, uh, talent, um, and not just capturing or capture, that's a, <laughs> the wrong word, attracting good talent, but then keeping it keeping it engaged. I, I think everybody's heard about the great resignation. And while I think it gets a lot of media coverage more at perhaps uh, the, the distribution level and it, as it deserves, I think it also is important at the you know, kind of more the office type role uh, as well. Keeping people engaged, there's employees have choices now. It is a it's a candidate's market. And you have to find ways to make them feel valued, to make them feel invested in, developed, show them a, a path toward career development in, in the company they're in. Um, I think most people out there would say, I'd, I'd rather lose an employee off my team to another group internally where they go off and, and do some new um, things for their career, for the company, than to lose them to another company or to lose them to just leaving and, and maybe exiting the workforce. So the people piece is real. It has to be addressed and it's, it requires, requires time and attention. And if you, if you shortchange that it's, it will, it will come back to you. Well said and folks never make any assumptions that your people are happy and and content because that's when those assumptions that's what can lead to turnover you got to constantly in my experience at least constantly keep that finger on the pulse and, and have regular conversations and feedback and, and gather information is so important um and yeah and, and i would just say you know one of the things i've enjoyed where i am is is that that level of contact 
And um, like, I'm not the perfect manager, uh, but I do try <laughs> to make myself available for people to contact me. I know I've always got a line anytime to contact um, my management. And that means a lot, you know, that that's, I don't want to abuse it. I don't want to use it all the time, but it's good to know that it's, that it's there. Yeah. Also uh, making sure people know that um, they're invested in that. And you have to walk, you have to, to walk the talk there, provide the opportunities, provide the training, provide the, the cross-functional introductions, the internal networking and, um, you know, actively uh, campaign on your people's behalf for the things that they're interested in doing in their careers. Uh, ideally within, you know, within your company, right? Because you, you want them to stay and be 20, 30 year employees who, who leave a legacy of, of value for the company. So, mm. um, Really appreciate that. And, and one of the things you heard there, folks, is, is use it. You got that line, use it. You know, when you're asked for feedback, give it. Don't be don't be scared. Don't be afraid to to speak up and share your mind. Uh, uh, share what you're thinking. Um, okay, there's one other thing I was going to ask you about based on what you mm -hmm. shared there. But sometimes Dennis, it comes and goes, right? I've learned that as I, as I've gotten older. My three kids have killed my memory. Um, let's <laughs> talk. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Uh, I'm so grateful that industry. Uh, to your point about employees and, and the employee experience, right? It's another another one of those X's. Old old George Strait wrote that song way too early because you got CX and EX and UX, all that. But thankfully, leadership really have, uh, it seems like to me at least, gotten more serious about what is our employee experience? How can we optimize it? How can we provide uh, a safer work environment? for our team members, all of it. And it's so that's been one of the silver linings, uh, I think during this pandemic, uh, to protect the global workforce that's, you know, kept things moving, uh, your quick follow-up thoughts before I shift gears. Um, I, I, I really don't have anything to, to add to what you just said. You're absolutely right. It, it gets a lot of talk and, you know, you can, you can YouTube any number of management, uh, gurus who'll talk about people, but it, it takes time. And, you know, the old phrase, you have to go slow in order to go fast later. Right. You have to invest that time and it's time that's very well spent and it will reap benefits for you if, if you're able to discipline yourself to, to spend mm. that time. So, you know, not canceling one-on-ones, not canceling staff meetings, even if it's just five minutes. Um, those, when you do those things, I've noticed, at least in my experience, uh, both in having had it happen to me and in having unfortunately done it once, uh, once or twice, people notice, right. and that level of engagement requires that time. And that's you know, frankly, for me, you know, as I've gone further in my career, that's where I, st I start to really gain more of my joy in my career or, or as much joy in my career as, as hitting numbers is also making connections to people and feeling like uh, you've made a difference in their careers and they subsequently have made a difference in, in the company's performance. Love that. Those are important investment investments, whether it's five minutes or 50 minutes. Uh, so well said there, Dennis. Um, all right. So one of the couple of the last things we want to ask you about um, 
if you would, so imagine this, Dennis. <clears throat> I know you've you've keynoted a lot of different places. Um, you're at the Waldorf Astoria finest hotel in New York City. You're in their largest uh, event space. You've got thousands of uh, students uh, and folks looking that want to break into industry. They want to break into supply chain and they want to move up, uh, you know, move up the career ladder into senior roles, executive roles like you have, and you've got their captive attention. What would be a piece of advice or two that you would share with those folks? Oh boy. Good question. <laughs> and by the way, I've been to the Waldorf story. I just, just had a drink in the bar, but so I never stayed. Okay. Very cool. I don't know if it was still there or not. <laughs> It, uh, what I would say is for, uh, I would say, first of all, it's important to be good with data. But as I said earlier in following my Six Sigma training, data allows you to ask the right questions. It's not judge and jury. So be really good with data, how to get it, how to validate it, and how to use it to drive you toward what appear to be root causes and get you to ask the right questions. The other thing I'd say, uh, specifically in supply chain, is you have to be really good at cross-functional work. Nothing you do happens in isolation in supply chain. You're going to potentially positively or negatively impact somebody, somebody else and somebody else's function by what you do. So you have to be strong cross-functionally. Third, I would say, you know, given that a lot of places are pretty lean in terms of staffing, and you don't always have a big team of people to execute, you need to be a good influencer. You know, one of the things uh, two of my um, mentors at Coca-Cola were, were very big on was the power of influencing. How do, you, how do you get people to cooperate with you and work with you when they don't have, when they don't report to you? You know, so if I'm here over in logistics, how do I get, people at the distribution center, perhaps, so I need to change a behavior to help me. How do I get them to do that? Um, how do I get someone further upstream, perhaps in uh, the demand planning world or the purchasing world to help me accomplish a, a bigger goal? So to be able to paint a picture for your cross-functional partners of why it's important and why you need their help and what the overall goal is, generally tied to a customer, is super important because you're more often than not, in supply chain, particularly in efficiency projects, uh, improvement projects, the people you're working with don't report to you. Mm. So th those would be the, the three things I think I would, I would uh, say, and, and maybe a fourth. One thing in supply chain, because you're, you're often touching base at multiple levels in the company, it's important to be able to know how to adjust your message and your presentation. Um, an example, maybe a five-page deck with a lot of detail works when you're talking to people who are going to execute something. But when you're presenting it maybe to a steering committee, it's probably one page, and it's just the highlights. So being able to, to a, adjust your communication to the audience, I think, is a, a big skill um, in, in, in supply chain because you're, you're going to be in that position where you're you're in the DC one day and the next day you're presenting it to the chief supply chain officer. So you need to be able to adjust how you communicate. Man, those are, that's the golden four point list. It really is. Uh, <laughs> uh, I want to, I want to, 
going back to your second one, I think it was about uh, cross training and and be cross functional. That is, folks, yeah. that is a golden piece of advice. You know, if so, if you go to school or if you're getting training or if in your career if you've done one thing really well, the more you can broaden that experience, learn new things, and and bring different um, uh, value, multifaceted value to the uh, uh, enterprise, the supply chain organization. You're going to have new opportunities. And then to go into that last one, uh, you know, um, knowing your audience and knowing how much time you have and perhaps most importantly, knowing what's important to them. Uh, Dennis, there was yeah. one time uh, what brought me to Atlanta. Uh, I was working in the, the staffing and the workforce uh, side of things. And we had this big opportunity, that, that um, business development sales opportunity. And Dennis, to your point, uh, it's not supply chain, but it, it's it's close enough. Uh, I went in there with 57 slides, and I was going to share every <laughs> single one of those slides to those decision makers. And oh, we got halfway through. I was an hour in, and I had, I still had you know 30 slides to go. And my my boss at the time, good old Mike, love old Mike. He goes, he, he's basically like tugging on me, you know, to get to the important stuff. We didn't win that business. And that is a lesson that stood with me. I still like my slides, but man, to as Dennis said, you gotta you gotta tweak and adjust your communication. Go deep when when that's the right time to go deep. Keep it succinct and executive level when you've got, you know, two minutes. So Dennis, this is golden advice. I'm so glad uh, that we asked you that question. Um yeah, you know okay. that's that's what the that's what the appendix is for sometimes, right? I mean, you stick all that <laughs> right. detail back there and then and then if you get asked the question. Hopefully you have a slide for it in the appendix, but yeah, you, you've got to be to the point with these the, these senior executives because everybody's asking for their time and you just need to let them know what they need to know. Yeah, well said. Love that. Okay, so we're going to have to have you back and we're going uh, to keep talking uh, supply chain, keep talking leadership because I want to wrap on a more of a lighthearted note here today. Uh, so okay. baseball season is upon us, Dennis Flynn. It is upon us. Mm -hmm. uh, we're big Atlanta Braves fans here. Uh, last year was, in my view, at least to me, completely unexpected. Uh, you know, when the Jorge Soler hit the shot that still hadn't landed yet. I mean, yeah, he, to go from – yeah, Oh, he sure did. To go from a point where I think it felt like for a full month the Braves would win one, lose one, win one, lose one. I think they set a record. Major League record for for no streaks at all. To go from there to the point where they beat one of the best teams in all of baseball um, and did it with just a team full of contributors that could do different things, kind of going back to your point, um, it was an amazing season. So we'll see what's upon us. But, Dennis, give us one fearless prediction for the 2022 baseball season. Thank the good Lord that it's here. Mm. Um, I think the Braves – make the playoffs i'm not sure they repeat um and i'll you know obviously i'm a, I'm a huge Braves fan but i can't see my my hats back there and i have another prediction that doesn't have anything to do with standings i predict that the first game the dodgers play back in atlanta freddie freeman gets like a 10 minute standing ovation mm. um I, I and i'd love i'd love to be there for that game I don't think there's going to be a dry eye in the house, including including Freddie Freeman's. Mm. I'm with you, and you know it, it's been really neat and heartwarming to see. You know, when when the initial split took place, there were some there were some really tough interviews and words chosen 
in those initial um, interviews. But I read that over the weekend that Freddie Freeman spent three hours talking with um, the Braves GM and Anthopolis. And they actually, they mend, you know, they kind of had a fuller understanding. And now Freddie invited AA uh, Anthopolis out to uh, California when the, when the Braves visit the Dodgers. And I'm not going to get the quote exactly right, Dennis, but uh, Freddie was telling the reporter, yeah, I want AA to come out because I want to give him a hug for everything we accomplished together. And I'm like, that's the Freddie Freeman I'm talking about. Yeah, so I love that. That's, so that's Dennis, Freddie Freeman. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm just glad that we've got um, an, one more uh, sport that that allows us a little bit of departure time from everything else that's going on in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we'll see uh, how all that plays out. But I like your predictions. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today. It's been sure. well overdue, yeah. but you're a you're a fountain of of good news here and and, and stuff that folks need to know. Well, I, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I, I'm, um, I've really enjoyed it. And, you know, I love talking about supply chain. Um, I love talking with my peers and hearing, you know, there's a level of comfort sometimes in knowing that they're, they're up against some of the same struggles. And I often get a lot of my best ideas from them. And I, I hope that I spread some good ideas to them. So um, love being on it. Love your podcast and have been a listener. will continue to be a listener. Awesome. Dennis, I love that. So, for folks that may want to get a little bit more Dennis Flynn, because they didn't get enough today, how can folks connect with you? <laughs> uh, wow. Um, the best way is just through LinkedIn, uh, Dennis Flynn, D-E-N-N-I-S, uh, F-L-Y-N-N, and uh, with Stanley Black & Decker. I think I'm the only one. Awesome. So I think you are too. Lo- lo- love to connect to you if, you're, if you want to talk some more supply chain. Awesome. Love it. Uh, so Dennis Flynn has been with us, Vice President of Global Logistics at Stanley Black & Decker. Big friend of the show, known Dennis for quite some time, and uh, keep doing, keep moving those mountains. So, uh, But thanks for joining us here today, Dennis. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. You bet. All right, folks, hopefully you enjoyed this great interview with Dennis Flynn as much as I have. Uh, be sure to check out Supply Chain Now and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from so you don't miss conversations just like this. But whatever you do, whatever you do, Folks, Scott Luton, on behalf of our Supply Chain Now team, challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.